Welcome to Chaintech, the show and podcast focusing on the latest trends in supply chain, procurement, and logistic technology. My name is Max Henry from the Global Supply Chain Council, and together with my co-host and special guest, we explore the personalities, startups, innovators, and industry players driving disruption in supply chain. From early stage to unicorns, and from cutting-edge technology to the people using it to help drive more innovative, agile, and resilient supply chain around the world. This is Chantech. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Chantech. My name is, again, Max Henry from the Global Supply Chain Council, and I'm going to be your host uh, for today's episode. I want to thank you again for joining us uh, you know, on this show as we continue to host some of the most interesting Chantech founders and discuss the rapid rise of supply chain, logistics, and procurement technology around the world. As we jump into today's conversation, I also want to make sure that you are aware of our Chantech platform on Chantech.net, where you find you can find a number of solutions and technology providers that we have you know, curated. And also, if you're interested to watch the previous episode of the show, you can go directly to Chantech.show. So today I'm very pleased and very honored to have our, you know, our guest uh, you know, joining us uh, from Israel. I'd like to welcome uh, Zvi Schreiber, who is the CEO of Fredos. Hi, Zvi. How are you doing? Great, Max. Great to be on your show. All right. So as we always do in our show, I want to maybe get started with first your, your background and where you, uh, if you can share with us, you know, where you grew up, you know, and maybe uh, maybe tell us and tell our audience uh, what kind of uh, studies did you have uh, when you were younger, just to give us a bit of perspective mm. on where you come from. Yeah. If I can remember that far back, um, I was uh, I was born in London, but I first moved to Jerusalem when I was seven years old, and so I've spent most of my life here in Jerusalem. Um, I studied out in university. I studied in Cambridge and Imperial College. Studied mathematics. Um, a PhD in computer science and uh, also did a master's in theoretical physics so various uh, sciences that was all quite a while ago um, and yeah after that I started work as a software engineer and, and within a few years sort of transitioned from being an engineer to being a entrepreneur and CEO but still still love writing code so when I have spare time I still write code sometimes let's go back a little bit on on your early part of your career uh, I know I've, I've looked at your LinkedIn profile. You had a, a number of positions, uh, but maybe can you probably highlight some of the most interesting roles uh, you had, you know, before starting Fredos? Uh, sure. I started um, a, a startup called Tradium um, back in the bubble years, as, as we call them, of 1999-2000. I was actually living for a year with my family in San Francisco during the during that bubble and and during when it, and when it burst. Um, that was one of the pioneers, really, of, of B2B. That was the time when the term B2B was first invented, and we were one of the pioneers there. Uh, that company got acquired just before the bubble burst, actually. Um, later, I created a startup called Unicorn, which was in the enterprise data management. But we sold solutions to big enterprises like uh, MetLife Insurance and Bank of America for managing their databases. That was acquired by IBM in 2006. Uh, then I did something in consumer web. 
um, which was very exciting, but but um, ended up in a fire sale. Um, we should have carried on somehow because we were basically doing what later became Dropbox um, and, uh, you know, Box.net. Uh, so um, we had the right idea. We were a little bit early. It's hard to remember now, but there wasn't much broadband back in 2000, sort of, Eight and you know the internet wasn't fast enough and it's hard to remember that now. Um, and then um, the most relevant experience actually to Freytos is that I managed a hardware company called Litec for two years, uh, making power supplies for LED lights, and sold that to GE Lighting in 2011. But it was actually during the two years um, at managing Litec that I discovered, um, you know, that I was actually dealing with supply chain issues, uh, shipping from mainly from China to the US and China to Europe, both air and ocean. And that's that's where I uh, was uh, shocked to discover how old-fashioned and and untrans- you know non-transparent this industry is. Um, and so, after selling that company, I had the inspiration to start Freightos and basically to be the Booking.com for international freight. So that was the vision. Okay. So, in one sentence, could you uh, tell us what your company is doing? Yeah. Hey, in one sentence, we're um, like booking.com for freight. We're, we're automating um, the, the price quotes for carriers and forwarders who are selling freight, helping them to quote instantly. And for shippers and forwarders who are buying freight services, we're providing a transparent website where they can compare prices and book instantly. What problem are you solving with your platform? <laughs> yeah, very simple. The main, I mean, several problems, but... Um, the most obvious one is when you've got a spot shipment, uh, air or ocean, you're, you're tending to wait one, two, three days for price quotes. Um, the price quotes are non-binding, they're, they're non-transparent, you never really know how much you're going to pay. And so you end up you, you end up overpaying, you end up wasting time and, and overpaying and never knowing if you're getting a good, a good price. So there are other issues, um, of course, but the, the headline is just making it much more transparent and efficient to buy freight services. What are some of the biggest benefits that your solution is bringing to your customers? And are you more focused on the shippers, the end-user shippers, or more of the freight forwarders with your platform, or both? Uh, yeah, so definitely both. Um, we actually use two separate brands. So the Freightos brand is mostly working with shippers, uh, very strong with SMB shippers, but starting to have some success with big enterprises as well more recently. Uh, for example, we did a press release a month ago with uh, Electrolux that we're, we're helping them to automate a lot of their procurement. Um, but we work a lot with freight forwarders and with airlines and a little bit with ocean liners. Um, and we use, when we work with the uh, service providers, we use the brand Web Cargo uh, by Freightos. So uh, Web Cargo is um, also a huge part of our business and um, we are by far the biggest platform where freight forwarders uh, book with airlines. Uh, so that's also a big part of what we do. So there are quite a number of companies who provide freight marketplace uh, right now. What is your, uh, right now, currently your company sweet spot? Um, well, if we divide, uh, like, uh, you know, you asked me before about the two segments that we have, sort of uh, shippers buying from forwarders, forwarders buying from carriers. Um when you look at forwarders buying from airlines, uh, there's not much competition. We are by far the biggest, Web Cargo is by far the biggest platform where forwarders are buying from airlines. I don't want to say there's no competition, but we're, you know, I think we're close to 90% of the market for digital booking of um, okay. forwarders with airlines. 
so we've got a very strong position there. Uh, Freightos.com um, has some competition, but I, th- I think in the areas that we are, which is mostly uh, where we're strongest is SMB importers in North America. Um, I think we're by far the biggest platform uh, for American, you know, American companies importing from China um, who want to uh, book digitally. Give us an idea of the market size today for this kind of marketplace for freight or shipping. How big is the market? Um, look, we'll do just we'll do the best part of a billion dollars of transactions. Not, not our revenue. Our revenue is much smaller. But the value of transactions, we were expecting to do a do billion dollars of transactions this year on our marketplace. Uh, having said that, uh, with the prices dropping <laughs> so much, uh, the number of transactions will still be as we expected. The value will be will be less than a billion given that prices are lower. But that still gives you an order of magnitude. Um, so on the one hand, you know, that's some scale will do, it will be around a million transactions, uh, order of magnitude, a million transactions uh, booked on our platforms uh, this year. Uh, so on the one hand, that's some a significant scale and significant liquidity. On the other hand, it's still a small proportion of the world market. You know, this is a market which is measured in hundreds of billions. Um, and so it's still, you know, depending how you count it, it's still way under 1% of the world market, you know. So the freight market has been in a downturn for, you know, past few months already. What has been the impact on your business and the revenue? Because uh, I believe you're generating, you're, you're making money. Uh, you take a commission, right, on every transaction? Or maybe you could explain a bit more how you actually generate revenue here. Yes, we take either. I don't want to use the word uh, commission because we're not a broker. We're not buying or selling ourselves. But, yes, we take a small uh, sort of marketing fee for bringing uh, orders. Um, in some cases, it's a small percentage. In other cases, it's a flat fee. So we have both. Okay. Uh, but honestly, both have been impacted because the fees, of course, when it's a percentage, the prices are way down. Ocean rates are 90% down this year. You know, uh, We publish indexes, the FBX and FAX indexes. We publish indexes of what's happening to prices. So we know very well how much prices have dropped. And, and then volumes are down as well. So even... Even when we set a flat fee, there's some impact um, because volumes are down. Uh, having said that, we're, we're growing this year, so uh, we, we would have grown even faster for sure. Um, but we, um, we 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 just announced our transactions in Q2. It was again for 14 quarters in a row. We have record transactions every single quarter. Um, our revenue is going to be a record this year, so we're growing this year. Um, but for sure, if uh, if the industry hadn't shrunk, it, w- it would have grown more. Okay, so I've seen, yeah, I've seen the news like anybody else. You've been recently laying off, uh, people and, and you know, it's, it's a tough market out there. So I know your, your revenue are growing. So how do you intend to, you know, stay competitive, uh, and, you know, despite the downturn, what is your strategy, uh, for, you know, still growing in this difficult market? Yeah. Yeah, look, I mean, our strategy is working. We did, uh, we, we do have to be careful, like all companies with our cash and because financial markets are really tough. Um, so we did take the sad uh, decision to lay off about, about 13% of our staff. Um, and we've done that in the, in the best way we can. We're on good relationships with them. And, and luckily they've been, the mature people have understood the situation and we've done it in a way which allows us to, we will not, we'll, we'll barely impact our growth. Um, but it will it will save our cash, you know. It will improve our um, reduce our losses and, and help us to get through to 
become a profitable company. Um, our growth strategy is working. Like I said, even in a, I think it's really, we should be very proud that even in a down market, a significantly down market, uh, our revenue will be up this year. Our transactions will be up this year. Our transactions will be up hopefully every quarter. Um, and so, and the reason for that is because digitalization is happening. You know, even the freight market is cyclical. There's good years, there's bad years. This one is definitely a bad year, but, but digitalization is a strong trend, which is, uh, which is continuing regardless of whether the market is up or down. So you mentioned earlier that you are uh, focusing on SMBs, right? Uh, especially for the end user shippers. Are you, are you focusing just on the SMBs or are you also serving uh, the larger enterprise with, you know, your suite of solutions? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, so both. So first of all, forwarders, we're very strong with both, um, enterprise and SMB. If you look at the top 20 forwarders in the world, 19 are customers of ours. So we're very strong with the enterprises and the, um, and the, uh, SMB or independent forwarders, let's say. Um, with shippers, uh, yes, we are, um, we're definitely getting into enterprise shippers as well. So the first adopters were all SMBs. Um, but we have some big enterprises working with us, uh, for, in two areas. One is uh, data. So we have a lot of big names. I don't remember off the top of my head which names I have permission to say. So I won't say right now, but um, I can look afterwards where we have permission. But many famous enterprises are buying our data. Our SBX uh, Ocean Index, our FAX Air Index, and um, our other custom reports. Uh, So we we work with many enterprises on data, and we also work with some enterprises on uh, air spot and, um, because a lot of uh, air cargo is bought spot and that's an area where we can really help the enterprises. So one I know that we did a press release is definitely public as Electrolux. Uh, the forwarder was FedEx Logistics. Yeah. Um, uh, but there are others which I can't, uh, can't mention okay. who are using us for, for air spot. Okay. Are you targeting specific sectors or industry? No. Um, we're not, but I guess at the moment, uh, the air digitalization is most advanced for general cargo. We still, if you look at dangerous goods or, or pharma, we do have that, but fewer airlines, not all the airlines. You know, we have about 40 um, something airlines who can give us uh, instant uh, pricing, instant booking for general cargo. When you look at pharma, dangerous goods is a smaller number. So we're focused initially on all the industries who are doing general cargo, but that's quite a lot. You know, it's electronics, it's um, apparel, um, toys. Um, we're making slow progress with uh, pharma and chemicals, but that's also coming as more airlines um, finally do digital booking also for, for spe- you know, specialized products. We can expand to even other industries. But but in the end, we're a booking platform, so we're... We're really not, you know, we just need to know how many kilos there are. So long as there's nothing special, we don't actually, we don't actually care what uh, what commodity it is. You mentioned Electrolux has been recently, uh, you know, um, promoted as one of your key customer. Could you share with us how do they actually use your platform in their day-to-day operations? Yeah, so let, let me talk about the solution. I don't want to speak about a specific um, customer, but, but you know, let me talk about what the solution is, and then you can understand how customers like like them are using it. Um, uh, the, the solution is to allow um, big enterprise shippers to buy air cargo in a transparent way, where they can. There, there is a freight forwarder involved for sure to do the handling, but the freight forwarder uh, agrees to use our technology and to be more transparent 
and the uh, the shipper or, or the BCO actually gets to choose which flight it's going to be on and which price they're going to pay. So you get this great uh, tripartite um, uh, digital booking where the, the big shipper is choosing, is booking with the forwarder and with the airline at the same second and has the transparency to choose the carrier they want and the flight that they want and the rate that they want, um, but still uh, absolutely using a freight forwarder to do all the extra handling and make sure it gets to the airport and from the airport, uh, etc. So the freight forwarder of a free PL is, you know, in the case of Electrolux is a company that they have already selected as part of their global bidding or global, you know, uh, negotiations, right? Uh, but then they connect to your platform and then um, they are then able to see, you know, the pricing, you know, differences that, that the company is providing and choose specific flights, you know, uh, to get the best pricing basically, right? Best pricing or the best routing, you know, the quickest yeah. transit time, whatever they care about. Yeah, price might be a factor, but it could be transit time or preferred carriers as well. Do you have sometimes resistance from those uh, freight forwarders to actually being pushed into using the platform? Because if Electrolux say, okay, now we are using FreightOS and you guys need to be on it, uh, but then they become, like you say, transparent. They need to be very, very clear and, and, and highly, you know, uh, honest about, you know, the rates and, and the rules that they're using. Is that sometimes an issue uh, in bringing those three PL or freight forward on board? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I think when you first discuss it with a 3PL, um, there is some nervousness because it's new and, and it's more transparent than they used to. Uh, but then when they try it, they see also the big benefits. First of all, they're getting a, a big customer who want, you know, and they're going to get more volume from the customer because they're providing a better service, but also it's a lot more automated for them. So uh, at the time the shipper books, it's, it's getting booked with the airline already, so they don't have to phone up the airline and book. Uh, the ship is getting updates, uh, so the shipper doesn't phone them up every day to say is it on the plane or not, because uh, the updates are automated. So it, it also uh, reduces costs for the for the three PL. Um, and in the end, what they want is a, is a satisfied customer who's you know sending um, more volume through them. So uh, in the end, the forwarders seem to be very pleased with it. Uh, but it is new, and, and there, there is some education and adjustment yet. I want to go back to some of the latest development around Fred OS also. I mean, recently, I think it was last year, right? Uh, you went, uh, you got listed. Uh, on one of the, yeah. Uh, what was the motivation for you to actually bring the company, uh, you know, and get listed? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. We're listed on NASDAQ ticker CRGO, like uh, cargo. Yeah. Um, the, the motivation was, uh, you know, number one to uh, raise more capital. So as part of going public, we raised uh, $80 million uh, from some excellent long-term investors. That's what we want. You know, investors will be with us for the long term. Um, so that was the, the number one motivation. Uh, number two, in the past, we've, we've made some successful um, acquisitions, and we hope that being public it will give us the opportunity with a trade, you know, sort of a currency, a traded share maybe to make more acquisitions in the future. Uh, and number three, we welcome the transparency. Some of our customers Actually, some of the big enterprises we talked about or the airlines, you know, actually feel more comfortable working with, with us when we're a public company, when we have transparency. Um, and so that's given us some extra, you know, being a NASDAQ company and the transparency that comes with that and the level of audit that comes with that has given extra confidence to some of our big customers. Was it also a reaction to some of the, you know, uh, capital markets drying up? I mean, the funding situation from, Major investors, the VCs are getting more difficult. So, 
you didn't want to raise again more money from those VCs? Well, but we raised, I mean, you know, we raised money from uh, the public markets, which are also, they're not yeah. VCs, but it's also investors. That's also hard. Uh, look, by the way, I mean, most um, most IPOs or, or DSPAC uh, deals this year got cancelled. You know that? Not a lot of tech companies have succeeded in going public. Um, and, and doing so had some of the same challenges. The markets are skeptical and, and tough. Um, but, but in the end, it was very successful for us. We raised some good money. Okay. I want to just stay on that funding topic. Uh, when you started the company, how did you actually got started? Did you, you know, bootstrap it for, for some time? Did you raise funds right away? What was your, the sequence of, you know, the different funding stage that you had? Yeah. Yeah, we, I bootstrapped it only for quite a short time. We raised um, a seed round pretty early on. Um, I'm fortunate, fortunate in that it's, um, you know, this is not my first rodeo, as they say. So I've got relationships and track record with, with a venture capitalist. That definitely helps. Uh, it also helps to be in uh, Israel, which has a very uh, active venture capital, uh, a lot more than many other places. So it's a good place to raise money. Um, the challenge was um, that... Nobody had heard of, uh, you know, logistics technology or chain technology, um, you know, supply chain technology back then. So this was very new. Now, yes, now many venture capitalists understand the, the potential of Logitech and understand that it's an important industry. Um, but uh, but that was not the case back then. So I had to educate the VCs that this is an interesting area yeah. for them to get into. So that's also another thing that I'm interested to, to find out is, you know, how, how does that, you know, a startup or scale-up scene looks like in Israel, uh, specifically around supply chain, logistic, and maybe procurement. How big it is? You know, how you know is it growing? Are you connected with that community? Do you meet other founders, which are also you know developing similar business? Um, well, okay, so that, that was a few questions. So, um, in general, the tech scene in in Israel, maybe in Tel Aviv, but I'm in Jerusalem, which is close by. Um, is um, is amazing to be honest. It's really one of the most uh, active tech scenes in the world, and, and the amount of venture capital here is huge. Um, having said that, it's a tough year, like everywhere. So, um, and potentially, arguably, Israel was even doubly hit because of the general slowdown in investment and interest rates, and also there's been some political instability here, which maybe has made investors nervous as well. So, there's definitely been a, a significant drop this year. But if you look at the overall multi-year trend, um, this is really a, a very good place to fund startups. And we have, we have more startups per capita, I believe, than any other country. It's a, there's not much else to do here. So, so we all create startups. You know. um, in Logitech specifically, there are a few. Um, I, I'm not, there is an active community. Uh, entrepreneurs do get together quite a lot. I'm not a, I'm not very good at that myself. Uh, I tend to focus on what I'm doing. I don't spend a lot of time, um, meeting other entrepreneurs. Also, I'm in, Jerusalem, not uh, Tel Aviv, um, but uh, but but yes, there are several logistics-related startups, and some of the entrepreneurs get together often. And I personally only do that rarely because that's just my preference. Okay, I want to understand. So we we're coming out from that pandemic. Uh, it's been tough uh, for a number of companies uh, and also you customers. Uh, what has been the lesson overall that you learn uh, from that pandemic and how to manage a business during a very, a very difficult time, yeah? Look, um, yeah, I mean, that's a, 
That's a great question, and nobody has all the answers. But um, I think one clear thing, which I, I think many people would agree, is agility. Right? You need to be able to move fast if you're in supply chain, and and you know China's closed, you need other suppliers. If the Suez Canal is closed, you need to be able to go the Pacific route. And if air is too expensive, you need ocean. If ocean is too slow, you need air. You need rail. So the ability to, uh, you can't, you know, the old lazy way of renewed every year, that doesn't work anymore. Not, not in logistics, not in any other area. Um, when you're building the team, you, you know, we talked about before, and unfortunately we had to, uh, we've been hiring a lot. We had to let go some people, and that's a, a sad process always. But it's also part of the agility that a modern business needs. Uh, you need to be able to hire. You need to sometimes be able to do the opposite. Um, so I think it's it's just everything is not you know whether it's logistics or hiring or business model or pricing, whatever you're doing, you have to be ready for change and be ready to move quickly. Do you think the pandemic, in some ways, uh, you know, accelerated the use of supply chain technology solution? Do you see customers, you know, adopting it much more than you know three or four years ago? Yes, it seems like it did a bit, especially in the area where we're seeing the fastest growth, which is air cargo uh, bookings. Um, I mean, the number of, you know, before the pandemic, we were doing, I don't know, a few, a few bookings a day. Now we're doing thousands of bookings a day. It's grown, you know, more than a, more than a hundred X. Um, so that's now that was going to happen anyway, without a doubt, even before. Uh, COVID, we knew we already had three big airlines in 2019, and we knew that a few more were coming. So in 2020, we were going to get to a critical mass of airlines enough enough to, to accelerate adoption, uh, even if there was no pandemic. Uh, but the pandemic, of course, uh, accelerated it because the air cargo industry was, <laughs> I mean, it's hard to remember, but before the pandemic, many airlines had the summer schedule with a summer price and a winter schedule with a winter price. And for them, agility meant that twice a year they had a meeting and updated their their, their prices, you know. Um, and that wasn't so long ago. Uh, but now with the pandemic, things are changing so quickly. Flights getting cancelled, airports closing, airports reopening, passenger planes getting converted to, to freighters. So they all realized that the old way of having a spreadsheet for six months was just completely uh, impossible. So it, it definitely accelerated things. Uh, like I said, we would have been going through the digital air cargo revolution anyway, but uh, it probably happened uh, a year or two quicker. What else has changed in the air cargo sector? Because, you know, I mean, traveling is still fairly expensive across major routes, uh, you know, and we, we saw, we see also issues around, you know, disruption still happening because of extreme weather conditions. Uh, so there are a lot of challenges and also airlines are overall are trying to kind of quickly recover and make all the money uh, or make back all the money that they lost in the last three or four years. So, you know, is a, a, a price, you know, a little bit out of control? I mean, what kind of trends do you see happening uh, from those airlines here? Well, I mean, the first obvious trend is that uh, passenger travel is recovering very well. There seems to be some revenge travel of people who were stuck at home uh, for, for a couple of years and now they're traveling. So uh, that puts pressure on the, that adds capacity for cargo and puts pressure on price because cargo is not increasing, cargo is decreasing a bit. Uh, so when the cargo volumes are decreasing a bit, but the capacity is increasing because of passengers, uh, that puts a lot of downward pressure on price. And so we're seeing prices that if you look at the Fredos Air Index, FAX, the 
we're seeing prices down by tens of percent. And it's difficult to, you, know, you never know, but it's difficult to imagine that recovers anytime soon because there's more capacity coming online. Um, but, but what's really exciting is the, just the, the switch to digital air cargo. I mean, on the one hand, the airlines were so slow to get started with that. Um, I mean, I always, uh, I always joke, you know, uh, do you know when, do you know when the first electronic booking for passengers uh, was? Is a question for you. Um, I'm not when sure. When did American uh, Airlines start some kind of electronic uh, booking for passengers? Not with a web even, but electronic no, with a computer. I would say in the uh, in the 80s or 90s. I'm not sure. Maybe it's actually much later than people think. Yeah. Well, well it was actually it was actually much earlier than people I think. It's a it's a perfectly reasonable. It's a good guess, but in actual fact, they, what later became Sabre was started in 1963. Uh, very few people know. Oh, that. okay. All right. So there was you needed a mainframe the size of a room, you know. Uh, but there was some kind of electronic booking for passengers in 1963. Uh, when did American Airlines launch their API, their electronic connection for cargo? Um, 2020. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Um, and the first airline to have one was Lufthansa in 2018. You know, so there was this 60-year gap almost, um, you know, between uh, passengers being digitalized, or it wasn't called digital then, but, you know, uh, and, and, and cargo. Um, so it was uh, shocking how, how long it took for digital bookings to, to happen for um, cargo. But but when it happened, it adopted, and it was frustrating for us, you know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, it's lucky I didn't know when I started Freitas that we'd have to wait for 2018 for the first <laughs> API from an airline. I'm pleased I didn't know that. Because, uh, but... On the positive side, once it happened, once uh, 2020, 2021, once we had a number of airline APIs, the growth has been phenomenal. I mean, we've grown, you know, well over 100% a year and, and it's growing every single quarter. So uh, so this industry can move when, it, when, it, when something really makes sense and really works well, the industry can move, uh, which is exciting to see. Yeah, interesting trends happening in the industry. I want to go back again uh, on, you know, how you manage your company and, Ask you a very simple question. What is your, you know, biggest challenge in your current role? I know you've been having some hard time. You had to let people go. And, but what would be your biggest challenge, you know, in the day to day operations of running Fretos? Yeah. Oh, goodness. There's so many. It's hard to, hard to, if you had to pick, you know, one would really keep you awake at night. Well, I try, I sleep pretty well because overall, overall things are going well and the industry is digitalizing, as we mentioned, and, and the number of transactions is growing fast. So, so overall, I'm sleeping well. Well, what drives um, you crazy then? What make you really? <laughs> <laughs> Look, um, I know that you're focused on Asia and Asia has been a laggard. Asia has, Asia has been slow in the adoption of, um, uh, digital airline uh, air cargo, so that's been a big frustration. Europe which was by far the leader, which is surprising because a lot of those airlines know. are fairly new airlines, and we will think that they will adopt IT and this kind of systems much faster than the you know the old dinosaurs uh, you know in the US or, or Europe. But you're saying that they're not. Absolutely not. It's finally starting to change. I, th- I believe this year we will announce, well, we did announce a couple of uh, Chinese airlines, um, China Eastern, China Southern, and I believe we'll announce a couple more big, I know that we'll announce a couple more big Asian carriers this year. Okay. But only this year. I mean, till you know, last year we had all the European carriers, Lufthansa, Air France, KLM, Finnair, um, IAG, you know, which is British Airways, but all the big uh, European carriers in the US, we've had Delta and American for a while. 
Uh, I hope we'll get the others soon. Uh, in Asia, if I'm not mistaken, going into this year, we didn't we didn't have any of the major airlines, not one. Uh, but it's finally changing. But Asia, and I know it's a focus for you, has actually been a, a frustration. Uh, I hope in the next year that will finally uh, resolve itself. Okay. And other than just getting those airlines, you know, in view, in your actual, you know, management role, what would be your biggest frustration or, or headache that you have? Look, uh, you know, people are complicated, right? So <laughs> managing, when I want to relax, I sit down and do some programming because computer programs pretty much do, uh, <laughs> pretty much do what you tell them. They're very predictable and, and I find that relaxing. Uh, as you know, uh, managing people is complicated. It's also a pleasure when it works well and you have uh, people who are superstars and, and perform well. Um, but of course, there are, there are always uh, issues, always um, how to structure the organization, how to motivate people, how to, um, how to get the right balance of, on the one hand, empowering people, on the other hand, helping them and, and monitoring them. Um, so I try to err on this side of, of being more empowering and less, certainly not a micromanager, but you can't go all the way the other way either. So you're, you're constantly balancing a hundred things of how you manage people and how you structure things. So it's an ongoing, uh, uh, challenge and, and also, um, you know, uh, a lot of fun, uh, especially when it works well. Yeah. So in the last uh, six to 12 months, there's also been a lot of frenzy around AI and generative AI. What's your take on that technology and how it could change the way you run your business and also develop your solutions? Yeah. Well, yeah. So that's a great question. AI is uh, is going to change everything. Um, we're already starting to use it in a few places. Um in the long term, just by the way, you didn't ask me this, but in the long term, AI is a huge threat. Uh, I, I'm one of the people who believe, I've, I've believed for a long time that there's a real risk that the AIs kill us all eventually. Uh, we could lose control, you know, once they're more intelligent than us. That's a few years off. Um, but AI is a huge opportunity and a huge threat, you know, um, because it's technology we can easily lose control of. And it's moving way faster than anyone expected. I mean... If you told me, and I've got a background, you know, I've got a PhD in computer science. If you told me 10 years ago, me or anyone, you know, the, the level that that ChatGPT or, or Claude 2 would, would 10 years later be writing poetry, summarizing books, um, you know, and or Dolly generating images. None of us, these are things, if, if, if you ask most people um, or even experts just 10 years ago, what are the things that AIs will, will never do or won't do for a century? They just say, well, AIs, you know, they'll, 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 they can model data, but they're not going to be generating images. They're not going to be writing poems. You know, a lot of the things that we expected would be the last things to, to be automated are being automated very quickly. So it's a very exciting and, and also scary uh, development. Uh, but, but that's just background in, in terms of what you asked me. Yes, we are, we're using AI both. Uh, and we need to do more, both as a personal productivity tool, you know, people using ChatGPT or other AIs to help them do uh, tasks. But we're also uh, certainly starting to bake AI into our products uh, in a few ways. I can't talk about specifics yet, um, but for sure, uh, it will it's be coming. having an impact on our product roadmap. Absolutely. Yeah. How do you see your company, all your platform or your solutions in three to five years from now? Well, uh, you know, I hope in three to five years, it, we have hoped to have various innovations, but mainly just scale. You know, like I said, We've grown more than 100x in the last three years in terms of number of transactions, but 
still, uh, it's one, you know, in air, we're still maybe about 1% of the industry. We're maybe 80% of the digital transactions, but 1% of all the transactions. And it's growing fast, which is great. And ocean even less. So um, I hope this stuff, it is growing fast. I hope it continues to grow fast and start to become mainstream. You know, in passenger travel, it took 10 years from the first electronic ticket till 50% of the tickets were electronic. I don't know if you remember the paper tickets with the carbon copy. I'm, I'm old enough to remember those. Um, and so it took 10 years to replace 50% of those. Um, so we're now about five years into digital air cargo. I hope in five, you know, now it's still a small percentage, but it's growing fast. I hope in five years, you know, the majority of transactions will be digital. What would be your advice to, you know, a new founder who wants to launch a company today, especially in the field of, of logistics here? Yeah. Um, I think the one thing I'd say is you, you need to build your investors and your team uh, in a suitable way. You know, logistics technology doesn't move fast. Uh, like you heard, Freitas is 12 years old and we're, we're making, we've achieved some things and we're making some progress, but we're still a relatively young company. We still have years ahead to really get to the scale we want to get to. Uh, so it takes time, it takes patience, it takes capital. Um, so I was very fortunate that some of my early investors are people who are patient and willing to, some of them have been invested for 11 years. They're still, they understand that it will take, even though we're public, it will still take some years more for them to get the return they expect to get. Um, so understand that this is an industry which takes time and capital and build your, find the right investors who understand that and will partner with you for the long term. Okay, good. Let me ask you, uh, as we, you know, I want to wrap up this interview, uh, but just asking you some very quick, uh, questions, uh, and you can just answer, uh, super quickly as well. So cats or dogs? Uh, no thanks. <laughs> None of them. If you put a gun, if you put a gun to my head, then dogs, uh, but, but I don't, I don't <laughs> okay. have any, either at all. <laughs> all right. Window, we're talking about airlines, window or aisle? Um, aisle, unless I get upgraded to business, then then uh, then maybe window. Okay. What uh, has been access. okay? What has been your one of your favorite movie that you've seen recently? Well, uh, I saw Oppenheimer, um, the only movie I've actually seen in the cinema in years, um, and it's uh, you know I know some of the history about physics. It's a great great movie. Yeah. Okay. What's your favorite lunch, or you know, what do you eat you typically for lunch? Yeah. <laughs> Well, I, I try not to eat this typically, but my favorite would be pizza. Pizza for lunch. Okay. Oh, yeah. That's pretty heavy. Well, okay. that's why I don't, I'm not saying I, I do that regularly, but that's my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but when, I try to uh, restrain myself. <laughs> what's your, the most used app that you have on your phone? Um, most used, well, uh, Gmail and Slack, of course. <laughs> okay, all right. Uh, that's kind of boring. But I also, I also have a lot of home automation now. So I use uh, Google Home and Smart Life. I, I do quite a lot of home automation, which is a bit more interesting than saying, you know, Slack. Okay. And what would be your favorite tool to be your company other than Slack? Yeah. Well, we're starting to, you know, starting to use um, ChatGPT and, and similar tools, as we mentioned before. Uh, it's kind of amazing what they can do. They can also <laughs> get things very wrong sometimes. You've got to be careful. Um, but those are starting to become real business tools. Describe in just a few words what would be the, the last part of your life. Where do you see yourself after you completely retired and really tired of running a business in 10, 20, or maybe 30 years from now? What, what do you want to do? Where do you want to be? 
Oh, I don't know. I, I mean, I quite like it here. I, I tend to split my time between mostly Jerusalem and a bit of London, and I, I love both places. Um, but I hope I'll have time to travel to new places as well. Um, I've never been to Australia, so that's one uh, one bucket list uh, ambition. Okay, great. Thank you very much. Uh, it was great having you. Again, uh, this was, uh, you know, Zvi Schreiber with the uh, CEO of Fredos, uh, you know, for this interview. It was great having you. Thank you very much. We'll see you next time. Thanks, Max. It was fun.